Hey everybody, this is Keach Rainwater with Designated Drummer. This is my very first podcast, and uh, welcome out, everybody. I have a very, very special guest here with me today. I sound like a talk show host. I've never done this. <laughs> funny. This is David Black, and he is the drummer for Phil Vassar, and also Colin Ray, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. He kind of bounces back between uh, Phil Vassar and Colin Ray. Yep. And uh, I met David back when we were doing the Christmas tour with Phil Vassar. It was Lone Star and Phil Vassar. Christmas time tour. It was about a month long. It was so fun. It was amazing. It was. And uh, we got to know each other, and we found out that we're both huge Star Wars fans. Yes. And uh, we're, we're what, what would you call it? Not what would you call a Star Wars fan? Yeah, a, you know, uh, there's Trekkers, and you can't nah, be a Trekker. It would be a that Star Trek um, Trekkies or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're both Star Wars fans. Anyway, so I have a, a question for you here. Um, any relation to Clint Black? You're Clint Black's like you know like cousin or something, right? Or bro- mm-hmm. brother? That would be great. Uh, no, brother, you'd be a lot older. You're young. You'd be like his younger brother. Yeah, uh, that would be great if I were related to Clint. Maybe I could get in the wheel somehow, but yeah. I'm not. I uh, I have been to Clint's house. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, out in uh, uh, Franklin. Uh, I cut a record, or uh, my bandmates and I, uh, Carolina Rain, who were my first artist oh, right. gig way, way back, um, 2004, 2005. And they cut, I don't know if anybody's been to... I don't know if he still lives there, but Clint's house has got, or he did at the time, had an incredible world-class studio in it. And, I have heard that, yeah. And um, uh, Steve Brewster was actually playing drums on the session, but I was designated the guy to do the scratch vocal. Okay, right. Yeah, because, you're a singer as well. Yeah, yeah because uh, the one of the guitar players, or the, the lead singer for Carolina Rain, Ren Boyer, was actually in a control booth cutting as well. Yeah. And so, of course, he couldn't sing the scratch over it, so I would go up in Clint's office, they had it wired, and I stand there next to Clint's office and his Grammy Award and right. sang all the scratch vocals. And I bet it was polished all nice and clean and everything, no dust on it. It was, uh, it was, it looked very, it looked beautiful. I gotta say that, it looked, I, I would like to have had my, I actually picked it up and took my picture with it. I had there you to, because I don't think I'd ever held a Grammy before. Wow. Um, but I have no awesome. relation to Clint, unfortunately. I'd like to have his money. Yeah. It's, um, he's done really well. Um, so I'm just going to get right into it. Um, so in the beginning, when you first started out as a drummer, like was there a moment in your beginnings where you weren't a drummer before and you just picked up a pair of sticks and did it happen like that or was it over a slow process of like in band and stuff like that? What was your moment of like, I want to be a drummer? My family was one of those musical families my dad is a steel guitar player, even to this day, uh, back home in central Alabama. My mom sang in clubs. My uncle uh, came very close to getting a record deal here in Nashville, Tennessee. He pursued it for years. Uh, one of my best friends, my first cousin, he and I were in bands growing up. He's a guitar player. So if you've seen the Andy Griffith Show, and most people have, you know, uh, the uh, the Darlin family. Right, okay. You know the yeah. Darlin family? The Darling, Darling. So the guy uh, uh, who's an actor... Uh, but he was the he was the main guy and played the jug. He was the dad. Right. And one of the sayings in uh, in uh, one of one of their appearances was, uh, "You got time to breathe. You got time for music." All right. So, <laughs> so that's that was kind of like a you know that was a lot, like the mantra of my house as well. I just grew up around it. At four years, four years old, I was you know used to look in the Sears and Roebuck catalog at the toys. 
and you tell your mom and dad, or at least I did, I want that, I want that, way before the age right. of internet or anything. Right, that. yeah, I remember that. And there was a toy drum set in there that just kind of spoke to me. I don't know why it did. I says, I want that. And like you, most parents do when you're young, they will give you, buy you something cheap to see if you take to it. Yeah. If you do take to it, they'll get you nicer versions of whatever you're into, whether it's, uh, you know, guns or skates or a musical right. instrument or whatever. And uh, so I don't remember there being a lightning bolt moment other than the fact that I just was always attracted to the instrument you right. know, from the time that I could point it out. I thought it was cool. And could you, in the early days, could you, when you heard a song on the radio, for instance, um, could, did you already know that you could play that? Was it one of those things or you had to wait to sit down at a kit and try and figure out what went where? I probably had to sit down at a kit and figure it out at first. My dad and grandpa would sit around and he would play steel. My grandpa would play mandolin and, and guitar and sing Jim Reeves. Oh, yeah. And, wow. so, and, and in a situation like that, they had a drum machine that they could use. It was the old school, almost sounded like that Casio. Right. Doom. <laughs> right yeah gotcha yeah yeah <laughs> that um but i would set up with them and instead of them using that the uh, that cheesy drum machine I'd which play by it. the way is probably worth like 800 dollars right now those yeah. old boutique drum yeah. machines yeah uh i would play along with them and you know you would learn when you turn the beat around you would do it just didn't sound right to you right according to what my grandpa was singing right you know and uh i guess that was probably how i kind of got started in it which was beneficial to me because there wasn't a drum track to play along to and you could feel whether or not it was right or not right even at five or six seven years old so you were kind of emulating a drum machine a little bit when yeah you played you sure know, trying to kind of keep up with what the drum machine sounded like mm -hmm. i think that's a lot of times what i do in my head if i'm don't have a click track and i'm playing along I try to imagine in my mind if there was a drum machine playing or, or a drum part that already existed and I would try and in my mind in my brain I would try and emulate that imitate that yeah. in my brain and it's kind of worked kind of thinking subdivisions yeah right yeah. thinking steady like yeah the mm -hmm. sub, the divisions of yeah. the beats being like, perfect yeah, and, where would that 16th yeah, yeah. right what's, what's too fast what's too slow even doing a yeah. fill I could hear the the beat in my head a little bit and I think that's helped me a lot of times when I was first starting out and I was play along and people would go, yeah, that's, that was pretty good. You know, yeah. it was encouraging to me. Yeah. I was like that as well. That's where I kind of knew that I felt like I was, I was pretty good at it. Now I became a, a band geek. Uh, uh, obviously in middle school, I joined the band and I was in high school drum line and I was wow. feverishly into that. Uh, I always in, envied those guys. I played trumpet. So I would always look at the drum guys and really? go, yeah, I wish I could do that. Yeah, I marched a snare for three years, my sophomore, junior, and senior year in high school. And my band director, Lester Harris, God bless him, was a very supportive guy. And we had a jazz band where I could play drum set. And uh, we had a guitar player, bass player, keyboard player, and then a horn section. is almost like a Tonight Show oh, type of band. Oh, man, that was so um, fun. Oh, it was awesome. But even before that, I remember when I would, when I learned how to just, you know, play and I'm talking like 10, 11, 12 years old, where you were, you would play with grown men and the bass player would turn to you and say, hey, you, you're, you're really good, you know? And maybe he was probably, well, of course he was, he was a, likely a novice musician. He didn't even really know how to articulate that to me 
it just kind of felt good to him. Right, you I know? gotcha, yeah. Just kind of felt good. And it's like, here's this kid right here who's like making two and four sound feel really good, and he's 12 years old. That's strange, yeah. you know, because wow. most people would have to nurse a, a, a kid, yeah. you know, yeah. and which I'm sure that happened. down a little mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, I'm, and when you, I guess when you ran across a kid that was actually complimentary to your playing or helped you achieve what you wanted to do, from your instrument, you know, they were kind of appreciative of that. And that's still what is the most fun to me, is laying something down where it feels really good. And, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's really good at something. I mean, some guys are chop gods, which I'm not. Um, you know, some guys are, uh, you know, real a pocket player. Some guys play for the song. You know, I, I could probably would consider myself a pocket player, but... When you have bass players that say, man, I feel like I'm not even playing when I'm playing with you. It just kind of just flows along. His fingers just magically find mm-hmm. the, the the notes. I think yeah. back to when I was 10, 12 years old, and, you know, some older guys would tell me, hey, that, that's really good. You're a really good little drummer. You're a good little drummer. You're a good yeah. little drummer, yeah. I think back to those times a lot. Wow, that's awesome. So you, in high school, you played. When when did you, now you obviously played a set because you said you played some jazz mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then maybe after high school, um, like was there that moment where like, okay, I could go to college and become a banker or a lawyer or something? Or, well, I really want to play drums for a living. I mean, yeah. did that happen to you? I guess it did. But where I grew up and uh, my best friend growing up got a degree in music. Although he didn't end up getting a job that was music oriented. Now, a four year degree is, is um, a worthy thing in any way, shape, or form, no matter what. Looks what good it, what on it a is. resume or sure. something, yeah. But in the South, if you didn't want to teach, and, and by that I mean teach middle school or be a high school band director, mm-hmm. a music degree, you know, unless a symphony spot in your you know, you're, if you had a town that was big enough to have a symphony, if a spot opened there right. and you could somehow get that thing, and even that is not self-sustaining. Right. You know, those guys, most of those people in midtown symphonies have other jobs. Yeah, or they live with their parents still or something like yeah. that, right? Yeah, so I didn't really, you know, in terms of getting a music degree, I know I could do that, but I know I didn't want to teach because I had taught drumline. Um, I was in college, a marketing major. Um, I got my... I, I was in I was in junior college so long, Keach, that I just I was a couple of credits away from just getting a general two year degree. Yeah. So I went ahead and did that and got a liberal arts degree from Bevel State Community College, and then I went to University of Alabama Birmingham as a marketing major. But that's when your band and so many bands that I loved were starting to simmer and take off in Nashville, Tennessee. And that sound always, I always, you know, I gravitated toward that. So while I was a marketing major, I was thinking about Nashville and, mm-hmm. uh, I really wanted to so do that. So when you were in college, did you, you, were you in a band? Did you play? Did you keep yeah. playing in front of people? Yeah, I did. I was in a, a country band. Uh-huh. Um, so you got they to try out those songs that you we, listened to and we loved. Did yeah, te- right. We did tequila talk. All right. <laughs> I remember we did tequila talk. All right. 100 beats mm. per minute. <laughs> or 99. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was in bands and I would go to school and, you know, had a job at a, a grocery store in the produce department that supplemented 
my college and yeah. and I'd play on the weekends with cats they were all older older than me yeah. you know a good bit older than me yeah I went through that in the early 80s when I was first starting out I uh, just what it was like my mom knew a bunch of my mom played guitar and sang and stuff and she knew all these musicians from bars and stuff and said oh your son's a drummer and so I ended up playing with all those older guys you know and learning I'm glad, I'm so glad I did because I learned so many lessons of, of sure. like what it's you know really like sure and the terminology and the kind of lingo that they used and stuff yeah and you know when you're green it's obvious you're green and but having guys around you which i did in my band uh, uh growing up out of high school they're supportive of you regardless and uh didn't put you through the ringer too badly is really greatly appreciated yeah and in retrospect now that i'm their age yeah you know? right and you have kids and everything, and um, a dad, and you're still out there making music. I mean, how do you make ends meet with all that? I mean, obviously with the COVID thing going on, there wasn't a lot of shows going on. And I know Phil, Phil Vassar kind of took some time off of the road, like mm-hmm. like we all did. Yeah. Um, what did? How did you navigate through all that? I was lucky enough. If anybody's ever been to Nashville, I, I knew enough of that, and and I was into it before uh, COVID and. March of 2020 when everything got shut down uh, that Broadway lower Broadway scene uh, turns out they call it uh, honky tonk highway is that right I, I, did yeah, not know that. I, I never that I in Nashville their, their tourist website calls it the honky tonk mm-hmm. I've never I never heard of that in my life um, but that lower Broadway scene for anybody that's ever been there on on a in a normal year there is music live music from 10.30 in the morning until 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. They're only closed for eight hours to clean up the piss and vomit off the floor. <laughs> right. And, and if anybody's ever been down there, you know, you walk along the sidewalk down on Broadway and it's one bar and then another bar and then another and they all have live, most of them have live music mm-hmm. in it. And you can just almost hear one band and then walk along and then you hear a, that gets taken over by another band that you're listening to now. Mm-hmm. And usually the drummer's like right in the window there, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like a shopping window almost. Well, it's funny you bring up the kids and making a living now because some things happen for a reason. I got fired from... Uh, Easton Corbin in 17. Right, 2017. And that was around the time that I was, um, I mean, I was unhappy there. They were unhappy that I was unhappy mm-hmm. there. Just one of those things that happens yeah. if you've been in this town long enough. Most people will say, eventually you're probably going to get let go from something. And you're just like, man, that'll never happen to me. Well, it did. Yeah. But when it did, I was already a dad and I'd be- just become a dad again. Uh, with my little girl, and I'd been I'd spent so much time on the road that I thought to myself, well, you know, people are seeing this thing on Broadway, and I'd played on Broadway sporadically, but I over the maybe a decade or so, I was just too busy to do it on a regular basis, too busy on the road, I'd do you know, you know 150 dates a year, and if you're trying to have any kind of social life, you just didn't want to go downtown and play should have been cowboy <laughs> on your on your right. Tuesday night off right. uh, when you were only in for a couple of days. But in 17, when I got let go, I, I wanted to stay home more because I was burnt out. I was extremely burnt out. And I thought, well, let me just give this Broadway thing a chance and let me see what kind of money I can make here. And Keech, it astonished me how much money you could make down there if you wanted to work only, I mean, at the time, it's even flourished since then. If you wanted to work 20 to 30 hours a week doing it, Mm-hmm. I mean, 40 hours a week, you could make an enormous amount of money. I know guys down there 
that easily make six figures. You're kidding me, really? Yes, no doubt about it. Now, they work pretty hard, but for those that don't know, I mean, your average musician out there, even someone that is a successful musician in their field, whether it be guitar, drums, keyboard, bass, we're not millionaires. We make a decent living, but we're not millionaires. And I started to to sink into that scene and thought, well, this is pretty good. I like this. Um, in, in the meantime, I started to get my feet back in there and I was making a good living and I was sleeping in my own bed every night. And then I uh, got a call from Jake Gamma that was leaving Vassar right? because he was going to go live in Los Angeles and yeah. said, I'm just curious, would you be interested in this gig? And I thought, because I've been offered a few things when I, and I was on the, off the road for maybe a couple of years. And I thought, of all the things that had been offered to me, I was like, well, that one is kind of interesting. I like that one because uh, I like Phil's music and uh, the fact that it's a modern-day Billy Joel country. Right, yeah. You know, kind of a mystique about Phil. And I thought, well, that's a good, uh, yeah, I might be interested in that. So I ended up taking that gig. But Phil works, you know, 60, for me, 70, 80 dates a year. Right. Now, that is enough for me to continue to supplement some income and keep some gigs down there on Lower Broadway. Uh, and so when COVID hit, it did shut us down for about three months, March, April, May, June, we went back for about a month and then July 4th weekend, they shut us down again. Wow. And then it was shut down for about two months. Uh, And then September came along and then they started to open things back up and then I continued to work. And that's been going on a year now that I've been back playing down there. Now, for someone that only has a you know a gig with a recording artist and they don't have their feet in any other live application or they have no studio work, fifteen months is a yeah. long time to go without work. Right. So I was lucky enough that I got to be home with the kids during that period and sink my teeth enough into that scene that I could make some money there. Now so you're also a, like that a singer. Down. You're a singer too. So mm-hmm. when I last time I saw you down there. On Broadway, I went and sat in with you, and you were the lead singer of this band, which yeah. is really cool. Singing yeah. drummer. I mean, has that always been kind of a thing like bands you're in where you have a microphone and you play drums and sing, kind of like a Phil Collins thing? I mean, not necessarily when I was growing up. It wasn't until I was around 18 or 19 that I actually um, was in a band where I was, you know, had a mic and could sing and learn to sing harmony with a bunch right. of other guys. I was in my late teens before I got into that world. Yeah. And I was raised in Southern Gospel mm-hmm. uh, and uh, church music. My mom, my parents uh, had a, uh, a, a, a Southern Gospel quartet. Oh wow! Uh, which is still great music to me. And people that doesn't don't realize how hard Southern Gospel is to do and do well. Yeah. it's very hard um, to uh, learn the harmonies. Oh and yeah, the and stuff, to get that like tight. That. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you've seen like ever seen the Gold City Quartet around nineteen. 19- you know, 87, 88, that was a phenomenal performance with a bunch of great players and and band situation. So I was behind the drums during that period, and there was a quartet out front that sang all the parts. That's and cool. I only sang just maybe a little bit in family-oriented sa- in situations. But the singing drummer thing came about, I mean, first of all, I, uh, 18, 19, 20 years old, I was with my band back home that, where the guys were older than me. Sawmill Road was the name of our band. You were the kid, huh? I was the kid. (laughs) And they, um, we ended up winning a few talent competitions. One of the talent competitions that we uh, entered was in East Tennessee somewhere. One of the judges was, um, worked at Curb Publishing. 
on Music Row. Okay. And he approached me. We won second. We didn't win. We got second place. And, uh, but he approached me and said, you guys are really good. You should come up and like showcase somewhere. That got my foot in the door and I was singing some of the vocals, lead vocals from the kit, drum kit, which is not in 1993, not yeah. a real marketable thing. Right. And, right. uh, so one of the guys that, that uh, we did, a, we ended up showcasing, uh, at the Sutler down on eighth Avenue. And one of the guys there, Rand Bishop, uh, approached us and said, I like you guys. I would, I'd like to have a meeting with you. We had a meeting with him. He said, I would love to work with you guys on the condition that pointed to me. He said, you come out from the drum kit and front the band. Right. So I spent an entire year working with him and riding with him. And the bands eventually faded away. And mm-hmm. I maintained that relationship with him. And uh, how did you feel about that when going from like like the Karen Carpenter thing? She always loved to play drums, and they said you've got to come out from the drum kit and be just a vocalist, you know. And she hated that; she didn't like it. But how did you feel? Especially in my early twenties, I was not prepared to do that. I didn't. I just one of those things where you like it's Ricky what do I Bobby. Do with my hands, yeah, Ricky right. Bobby. Yeah. I don't know what to do with my hands, <laughs> uh, honestly. And you know, just really a maturity thing more than anything else. And uh, so I wasn't really comfortable with it, and and eventually I ended up sheepishly kind of fading away, you know, from that scene, and just just didn't feel like I was completely. I had what it took yeah. to do that, especially when you're already nervous about that that part of yourself, and you're in a in a you know a piranha eating mm-hmm. you know town like Nashville, yeah. you know where. Yeah. Everybody, everything you do is under the microscope. Every right. record label is looking for a reason to say no, you know. Yeah, I hear you. And I, I just wasn't, I just, I was scared of that scene as a yeah. singer. Not as a drummer, but as a right. singer. So I didn't literally, Keech, I didn't pick up a pair of drumsticks for an entire year. Didn't wow. touch drums. Wow. Because uh, I was trying to focus, being focused, wanting to be a singer. I was trying to focus on being a singer. How and did you get back into it? I just, it, it just, I just wanted, I just felt it. It's just like, man, yeah. I just miss playing drums. I really, really rather do that i took a a job down in uh, birmingham playing with a blues act simply because i just want to play like a shuffle i really get really get good at a shuffle i played with them for a year maybe a year and a half yeah you know with both your hands oh yeah right i want to really get good at that part of it which is you know beneficial it's always beneficial to play a shuffle because a lot of drummers that can't play a shuffle right for shit anymore oh yeah right you know yeah, because it involves your left hand waking up and being, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as, as good as your right hand. And yeah. that's, that's hard. I always find that fascinating when I would listen to things like Lagrange or anything else where they had that that left hand moving just like the right hand, you know. And, yeah. And that control. I was like, how do they do that? I know, I know. But uh, so so you um, you got back in the drums. One of the questions I wanted to ask you um, was there ever that aha moment where in your career where you were not a pro drummer yet. You were, you're just kind of trying to, you're going maybe on auditions and talking to people and thinking like, I really want to make a living playing drums. Was there ever that one moment that you thought, ah, okay, this is what's going to make me a pro? It was, or was it an evolving process? Was it over like months or years? Or did it just happen? Did one day you wake up and go, ah, that's the drummer I need to be? Yeah, by the time that, you know, I guess by the time I was 18, 19, 20 years old, and Charlie Daniels once said this is to be successful in the music business you've got to move to a town when there's a music business right and that was not Birmingham, Alabama 
not to make a not to make a good living. Wasn't a big not music to, mecca down there. Yeah, I mean there, there are places to play, but I can't imagine you making a really strong living even today down there. Right. And I knew that I was going to have to move to Nashville. Right. And when you grow up in a situation like I grew up in, you know, not a lot of you know in the country, central Alabama, not a lot of people moved away from home. Right. Um. Just. Not many people they didn't did think that. about it. They yeah. just didn't, yeah. I mean, just not many people did that. And when I did it, it was like, I knew it was going to be like kind of scary. It's like, man, I'm leaving everything that's comfortable for me. And I don't remember there being like something, uh, uh, like a light bulb moment. There were inspirational things I saw that were light bulb moments for me. Um, but getting there is just such a process of two step forward and one step back. Right that I never had that moment where it was like, ta-da, and yeah. there it is. I mean, the first time I played the Grand Ole Opry was a big deal, you know, because yeah. my parents were in the audience, and I was thinking, you know what? If I don't ever get any further than this right here, this is pretty fantastic, you know? Yeah. I played the Grand yeah, Ole Opry. Yeah. You know, and I've since played the Grand Ole Opry God knows how many times. But at that time, that was a, I mean, it still is. I've got a friend of mine that's been in town for years and years and years and never got to play the Grand Ole Opry. He's going to play next month with Craig oh, Campbell. That's and we're awesome. all excited for playing bass for him. So we're excited for him. I'm rooting for you, Jimmy. Jimmy Smith. Man, the Opry is, <clears throat> the best way I can describe it is uh, wait around, wait around, wait around, wait around. All of a sudden, lightning, boom, you do one or two songs and then it's done. You're just looking back going, what just happened? Yeah. And is then, it, do you feel the same? Is no like doubt you? about it. Yeah. Because you don't get a sound check, really. You know, mm-hmm. you can come set your stuff up, maybe. And then you just get in there while the guys, you have the time while the announcer is saying, and this next band from Texas, uh, blah, 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 blah. And you got about maybe 15 seconds to kind of get your kits, whatever you're going to do together. Yeah. And you're usually playing the kit that's on the opera, you know, yep. the, the, the house kit. Yeah. And Which you have is set to up for out. Eddie Bayers and Mark Beckett, who exactly, are, yeah. who are um, open-handed players. Right, right, yeah. So the, the hi hat's way over the there. drum kit's <laughs> strange anyway. There's a ride symbol right here right, yeah, where exactly. normally you would, uh, you know, a right-handed player would uh, there would be a crash symbol. So yeah. the setup is a little strange, and you got to kind of navigate that as well. And then com- compounding to the problem is all of your players who are you you used to almost being an arm's length are now. 50 feet away at best you know yeah. they're spread out so far with all kinds of amps and guitars and pianos and stuff in the way you're like can i see i can't see you where are you your and mix you is not to, great yeah, of course it's, yeah it's, never it's is. jacked yeah and you're only out there for two songs right so you, you don't want to spend your entire eight minutes out there directing the monitor guy on what you yeah. want more or less of right exactly who yeah. wants to but do the, that the beauty of it is is that when you play you know that what you play is going to sound amazing out there because yes. they have the best sound man. So no, like if whatever you do, they've got you, you know, yeah. and, and the audience is going to love it no matter what you do. Um, and when you're done, it's just like, wow, it's amazing. I really liked it. It didn't sound good up here, but, yeah, you know, and then you walk off and it was just like, what just happened? Or just, you, like, but when they did the televised opera, you would see your televised portion and go, man, we were great. <laughs> right. You know, I thought it was You've horrible. Never sounded good. I heard yeah. one time on the radio we had done What About Now on the Opry, and I was listening to like the radio you know, like in the car, and then I heard, oh, What About Now is on, and I thought it was the record. Honestly, I really thought it was the record because wow. I'm, I mean, I, you know, I know what I played, and I know. And, and then, you know that record yeah, well. I know that record well. So by the end of the song there was one little drum fill or something that was a little bit different and then i heard the audience kind of clapping at the end of it and and i thought 
that's not the record. That's yeah. and they said that was live from the Opry. And I was just like, whoa! They must have mixed that or something, and it made it sound amazing. Yeah, like, had enough, it in post and like yeah, yeah. they had to had master it or something. Yeah. So it, oh yeah. my god, it sounded great. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I know. That that there's a uh, and the, playing the Ryman is it may be even more of an honor, but more of a challenge from a sound standpoint. Now, right. if I was just on a wedge, that room would sound fantastic but i like to have phones on so yeah. i actually wear their phones they're big giant phones right, yeah um and uh, it sounds real funky in there too and the only time you've ever it's a it's a joy anytime i've ever i've only gotten to do it a couple of times where you got the opry early and you had a real sound check yeah right. and you could tell the guy hey i want a little bit more of this and so when you walked out there it was like yeah this is like this feels good now that's cool you ever notice keach too that's like when I, I, drums are the, drums are this is more crucial than any other instrument you ever notice on a night when you were really you really felt like you had it like you had it personally boom i brought it that's when the rest of the band comes back and says man we were it was really good tonight you know yeah it almost feels like to me like well you you want to say well it's because i didn't play that good last night but tonight i had it yeah and i and and that infection wore off on you guys yeah and i mean so much depends on the drummer, man. Yeah, totally. And, and and what kind of night you have, how it feels out there, yeah. if it's stiff. And the guys that you play with on a regular basis, they're going to know if it's stiff or not. Yeah. If you're having an off night, the audience won't know. But that when the magic of it all starts to come together, to me, when the drummer's really grooving, yeah. really good. I've heard a lot of gigs. times that if you can have an average band with a great drummer and you've got a great band, you have a great band with an average drummer and you just, it's just kind of, you yeah. know, it's all right, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so There's something so about, on. something primitive about just that. Yeah. And so. trumps go, almost everything else. Yeah, going back to being a professional drummer, and this is what I like to teach a lot of my students, is that it's just, it's a feeling of confidence that the band has in you that you need to instill that you're always going to be there. You're always going to count the songs out loud. You're going to, they, they just have this comfort to feel that, oh, the groove is going to be there. I'm going to be able to hear the backbeat okay. And I know that this drummer's on. I mean, he yeah. knows the songs yeah. and, you know, it's kind of a confidence thing. Yeah. And th that allows them to cut loose and do their thing. Yeah. When they know that that, the foundation that was built before we're putting the framing up on this house is completely and totally solid. That's a good way to put it. I yeah. can walk around anywhere in this house, and uh, my footing is not going anywhere. We can build as high as we want to go. It's not going to cave exactly. in. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's, uh, I mean, so much is, I just think so much in live application for sure in, in touring. Uh, yeah. What kind of drummer you have and, and, and how good it feels out there. Just it, it has such a seeping effect. Yeah. on everybody else involved we have yes. i've had these moments in my career that i like to call just magic where and it usually involved a huge crowd like we, we would go to fanfare we would play when i was in canyon we'd play fanfare we were kind of a new band at the time and they mm -hmm. someone had canceled or something and said hey let's get this band up here to play and we got up there and it was like you know twenty thousand, thirty thousand people at, at the at the racetrack over mm -hmm. there and you get up there and play and it was just like everything came together and the energy and there's just that nervousness but at the same time it was good you know yeah. because all these people and then when you got done playing it was like <sighs> like that that's just, that's when magic happens with I, the band. i've heard uh other you know quote unquote legendary drummers say the same thing that i remember lars ulrich one time said that it, it takes years you know that nervousness that you mm -hmm. have before you get on stage when you're a kid or 18 19 20 years old 
not playing at a club, but where people are actually sitting and watching or standing yeah. and watching. They're not dancing to it. They're not talking over it or trying to talk over it. They're watching it. Constant attention. Yeah. It's and like a, a real show. Yeah. That nervousness of like, is this going to go yeah. okay? They're you know? all looking at me right now. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> when you know you get out there and you perform, your your adrenaline is so high that you felt like you just jumped out of an airplane. And and yeah. when, when the show's over, you've just landed, and the parachute is coming down. You're like, what happened? It takes years to get years and years to get over that kind of uh, nervousness. Like I don't have that nervousness yeah. anymore. I guarantee you don't, I don't either. Know, huh? uh, it, I'm completely and totally relaxed before I walk out on stage because. I mean, if it were with a bunch of guys that I'd never played with before, or um, you know, maybe it's my first gig with an act, I would mm -hmm. be I have a little bit of jitters. But yeah. on a regular basis, you know, no matter how big the crowd is, it can be gigantic. You're not nervous walking out yeah. on that stage, and the only way you get over that nervousness is to do it thousands mm -hmm. and thousands yeah. of times. I would say the only time I ever get feel that nervousness anymore in live television, like an award show, when you're in front of yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you're up there on stage and you're about to go on and you look down in the front row and here's Dolly Parton, Shania Twain, oh. George Strait, Reba oh. McIntyre. And you just, <laughs> and they're watching this. They're watching. Yeah. If I drop a stick or mess, forget like an intro, like a part of the song or something, I, they'll never forget it. And, yeah. they, and they're all with, got their arms folded and you know, they all don't really care about being there they yeah. just have to be there you know and they're staring at you like what do you got yeah, what, what's you know what am i what are you doing here it's your stereotypical industry crowd <laughs> right. you know yeah. whether you know one one of the reasons why recording artists you know they do so little cover songs when they're doing a hometown show because nobody wants to hear that right nobody, you know? it's like woody allen playing clarinet nobody wants to hear it yeah no, i'm just kidding um <laughs> so uh <laughs> I heard that on uh, Ted Lasso. He said he said he was talking to I one of his Ted football Lasso. players. I know he was talking to one of his players, and he goes, "It's like Woody Allen on clarinet. I don't want to hear it." <laughs> anyway, um, uh, it's the end of this month. Oh yeah, Come, the new one? season yeah. two. That's yeah. all we watch on the bus anymore. It's just like every when you walk in the front lounge, it's Ted Lasso. It's like is that first season? Is that like the? Yeah, yeah. We, I've already seen this one. Yeah. Um, so a question uh, about have you? those moments of when you just totally boned it up, you know, I mean, dude, you, you regret it. You're just like, afterwards, you're like, what was I thinking? I just was not, you didn't have your head in the game or something like that. And it yeah. made you want to try harder. Well, hopefully that's what makes us drummers, uh, keep going is that things like that happen. And it just makes us kind of it either makes us want to quit or it makes us to want to work harder, you know? And yeah, what, it, what it, kind of moment have you had like that? Well, there's, you're, you know, I've fallen on my face before, sure, in front of an audience, and I and I beat myself up about it. And it might be days that I beat myself up about it. I can't remember like a specific instance for sure where I was like, "Oh my God, that was awful." <laughs> uh, and only a few years ago, I did this Nashville Drummers Jam. My buddy Tom Hurst puts this on with yeah. Dave Parks, and I did a James Brown song with Wes Little, I think, and. They do this, I just thought we were going to play the song, and they wanted us to do a dueling drum solo. And I was like, I'm not prepared for this with Wes Little <laughs> sitting beside me. What? What am I, 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 you know, so I muddled through some kind of a thing, and we passed off like, you know, four bars and then two bars and one bar. What I don't know what we did, but that, I mean, I fell on my face on that. And, and uh, it, it was like, it was like Wes was in sync with the rest of the band, and I was just like, um, an orangutan, yeah. you know, that was there for fun. 
Uh, that was not enjoyable riding home after that. I remember thinking, God, that was awful. What happened to me uh, tonight? I, well, you I've sounded been, great and, on our drum off <laughs> when we. You remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> we, so uh, we do Memphis on uh, on the Phil Vassar Lone Star Christmas tour. We I thought it was our last song it before was, we went on the encore or something. It was yeah, it was the yeah. last song before the encore. And we didn't do it until the very last very show last of the night. tour. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And every once in a while, I remember one night we were playing, and I used to do this Elvis thing sometimes if I, on an acoustic show when I feel like it's, I just want to, just, we just don't have a real good ending for that song. It's like, walking in Memphis vocally, and mm-hmm. that's it. That's it. And the yeah. audience kind of goes, oh. And so sometimes I'll do this Elvis thing. I'll, I'll do this, you know, right walking in Memphis, and everybody in the band knows what's about to come up. They're yeah, fixing yeah. to just do a big burnout. Yeah. And so uh, it was always kind of... So I did that on the, on the Phil Vassar tour. Yeah. I just one night, I was just kind of feeling froggy, and I just did it. And everybody was like, whoa, that was cool. So then uh, that's when you and I talked about, like, yeah. we should do a drum off. I'll do the thing, you do the thing, and then I'll do the thing, and then we both do it, and then end it. They loved it. It was great. Oh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Phil loved it. He was uh, like, yeah. that was so great. <laughs> Now, oh, that wants that makes me want to um, bring up another thing about touring with Phil. Now, Phil Vassar, a lot of people don't know this. He doesn't really have a full set list. He doesn't have like here's this song and here's this song and then mm-hmm. we're going to do that song and then talk. It's not scripted at all. And no. sometimes he'll throw things out. Uh, do you enjoy that? Is that like a thing for you? I I do enjoy it because I've I've been on both sides of that coin where uh, where the show was extremely scripted, almost to a nauseating degree. Where you know you're on tracks, um, you know you've got tracks. I don't know. Maybe you have Mando and background vocals or or synth on it or whatever. And they it is. say the same banter between songs exactly word for word. Yeah, I mean you know you're you're playing your burnout, you're crashing burn, get to get to get to get to guy lighting director, bah lights mm-hmm. go out, mm-hmm. blackout, wait for the guitar change. He's gonna walk right over here about seven or eight feet, get in position. He's in position. Cue the next song. Yeah, stage play, right? Yeah. yeah. Whereas, really, you know, you just—I'd—I'd I'd worked in that um, environment for so long with Eason that I, I, it was like you felt like you were just putting a puzzle together every night. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's like, all right, now the puzzle's messed up. I got to put it together. This is what's expected of me. The puzzle's there. Boom. Yeah. Everything is. We're, there's nothing that's gonna surprise us, right? At all, ever. So when you're in that world for so long and you go from that to Phil where, you, you know, they're calling him out and I say, what are we starting with? And he goes, I don't know. What do you want to start with? <laughs> Just wait till you hear it. Yeah. And, and, and he walks cool out. And so if you've been on both sides of the coin, I like script to some degree. It just depends on what it is. There's a comfort but, zone in that. No yeah, but I up. also like the looseness of what Phil, what Phil is as well, you know, uh, we usually know, um, you know, we could like guess. It's like, all right, after this one, he's going to choose. Well, he always usually starts the song kind of, you know, like on piano or a, a vocal a, order. A lot of them. Yes, you know a lot of them. He'll in. cue it. You yeah. know, he'll cue the song on piano. I think uh, Jeff told me, Jeff, if for, for folks that don't know, uh, Phil's longtime right-hand man. He's a guitar player and his tour manager now. Been with him. They've known each other since high school. He uh, he said that, that Phil one night went to see Springsteen, and this is 10 years ago and Jeff was with him and Springsteen had no set list whatever somebody yelled a song that they hadn't played in a decade and and Bruce got everybody huddled them together they talked through something then they went out and played the song and and it was great according to according to to Jeff and Phil it was really really good so 
So that drove I, him to do it. I, I think Phil really responded to that. He thought, oh, well, I want to do that. I just want it to be spontaneous. Fun for the band. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like, you just never And that know. does make the, uh, you know, the, the you know, feeling of putting a puzzle together not so. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea. You got a general idea of what's going to happen. I mean, he pulled out green, green grass of home one, one time. <laughs> wow. And we played it. And yeah. we, we came in like second verse and played it. And for those that don't know, that's an old, old traditional country oh. song that I would have never in a million years thought he would pull out and, and have us play. Wow. Uh, those kind of moments were just kind of fun these days. I like it. Um, but I like the other way as well, depending on, you know, if the songs are good, I don't really care. You know, yeah. Keach, I'll do it in any way, you know, you want me to do it. And if you've played for enough acts like I've played with, you know, I've played, you know, I've played the Opry with about, I don't know, maybe seven different recording artists wow, I didn't know over that. 15, 17 years. And you get to learn what makes that artist tick. And these are artists that have sold records, millions of records, had number one songs. You know, you get to see the way they go about it. And because you've been in a band with a bunch of guys, the same guys for mm-hmm. a long time, right? You know, I've I've uh, leapfrogged from a lot of different things, and so you the advantage of that is you get to see the way that recording artist ticks and the way they like it, and and maybe uh, develop an understanding of why they like it that way. Why do you like the songs faster? Colin likes his songs a little faster, okay, um, yeah. than on the record, and sometimes a good bit faster. Yeah, and it's just like you know, I just feel like it just it just. More energy, it's yeah. More, it just That's brings true. up the energy a little bit. You know, there's times I agree with that. Sometimes I maybe don't agree with that. Yeah. But uh, if you're there to be, if you're in the service industry, which I am, I'm a hired gun, uh, you want to deliver that to them the way they want it. Right. You know, maybe you would do it differently if it were if it were your band or your name on the marquee, but it's not. Right. <laughs> How do you feel about doing songs? Uh, and I, I remember there was a post on... Uh, uh, Instagram or Facebook or something like that that where they posed a question for cover bands and that kind of thing for cover songs okay A scenario A play it just like the record uh, accurately faithfully to that or should you kind of create your own little version of it and a lot of people had some really good input yeah. of course my input was I would say the signature licks and stuff you you pay homage to but then everything else could be you know you could just kind of um whatever you think sounds good, you know, for a drum, close as you can. For a drum standpoint, uh, I'm totally in agreement with that. And you sat in at Whiskey Row with us and played Night Moves. Right. And in the breakdown bridge, coming out of the bridge, you get, you have to play this simple little 16th note fill yeah. that goes across the top. That is signature. Right. If you don't play that, it doesn't sound right. weird, yeah. It doesn't sound right. That's a perfect example. Night Moves by Bob Seger. Yeah, that was fun. And here's what's funny I have never played that song before I've always wanted to and I've yeah. always hear it on the radio and I know how to I know the, where the licks are because it feels good it's just yeah. one of those songs yeah. it's a mid-tempo and feels it's got good to such play. a cool you know when he um, when it starts out with the guitar thing and then the drums come and it just yeah. has that it just falls in the pocket yeah. you know it's, that's, and two it's just great 70s sound in yeah, rock and right. roll you know, which yeah. was a to me, the greatest decade. And the way the, the drums go, boom, 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 boom. I love that. That kind of syncopated. Yeah, that's almost yeah. like a Motown yeah. thing. <laughs> definitely got a Detroit yeah. feel to it, it. Totally, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That was fun, yeah. So yeah you got to play that feel. You have yeah, to you play that feel. you got to pay homage to that. But um, So you're, you're kind of like me. Like, pay homage to the to the signature things that need to be, like, uh, in the beginning of Walk This Way. You wouldn't want to play that drum beat any other way. It's got to go, no. but, boom, boom, but. 
you know, if you don't do that, if you played it some other way, it would be like, what? Yeah, uh, you said that you you actually said the word faithfully a minute ago. It makes me think of faithfully by Journey. Yeah, right. You've got to play those those Tom feels correctly doom, go, going doom, into doom, yeah. yeah right, you got yeah. to play all that right. That's it, right. It, it, there is no room for your own artist musical interpretation <laughs> yeah. on that. You've got to play those. Yeah, notes. you can't do like uh, triplets and and doing all kind of. It's got to be yeah. Right. You have to right. play have that. To, yeah. If you don't play anything but that, it sucks. Right. Guaranteed. Yeah. Because yeah. it just sounds signature. It sounds signature to even to someone that doesn't know any better, that has no musical theory or knowledge at all. Right. You know? Uh, just the simple things. That's what, you know, that's kind of what's magical about playing music for people is as it's in, in, in the industry, some people, you know, you get, you start to think, that in a formulatic industry like country music, you start to think that the audience is, man, you guys are suckers for falling for this stuff. Why do you continue to want the same kind of song? You know, but as as ignorant as you might think they are, they're real perceptive in in other ways. You yeah. know, and just the ways how you deliver something with a ton of soul, as opposed to not deliver it with that much soul. Treat it as or treat a lick as just a, a, a throwaway that you're not really paying attention to. Yeah. One of my favorite compliments anybody's ever given me uh, was a cat played downtown, and it was before he moved to town. And he, I guess, he knew of me, and he watched me play in a club. And he brought this up to me years later, and I'd forgotten that he sent me this email or he'd messaged me after. He goes, "Man, I watched you play tonight," and he told me he said it sounded like everything you played, you meant to play. Yeah, right. It's like, well, right. that's yeah, that's what I'm going for. Right, that's intentional, what I'm going for. very yeah. intentional. Yeah, but but it's the simple stuff. Yeah, you know, right. It's a big difference if you if you play Pat Boone, Debbie Boone as a throwaway lick, going about your business. Yeah, it's so much more impactful if you really. Yeah, right. Now that's the way to deliver. I mean, depending on what it is, if it's popular music, you know, music that you would hear on the radio, that is. You want to deliver it with some with yeah. some stain, like you meant you know? to do. It. Yeah, that's, like, that's I, good. The way you said throwaway, like a throwaway feel. Yeah, you know, like you like, know, that's not. I'm not paying much attention. That's why I'm a. I, I'm I'm a, still a big fan of Rich Redmond. Yeah, because right. Rich plays stuff when he plays a feel. It sounds like he meant to play that feel, right. and he wanted it right on the nugget, yeah. right there. You know, perfect. And it could be the simplest feel in the world, but if you have an infectious drummer that delivers that with some soul, it's way more effective to people even if they don't know it's effective yeah they just kind of somehow feel it that's kind of the magic of music isn't it yeah one of the other questions i wanted to ask was um click or no click i mean what do you i know there's instances where you kind of need it like in the studio and you're working Mm -hmm. with pro tools and things like that a producer wants it um but you know i have to say back in the day when there was no pro tools and you had you didn't really play with the click maybe some people did but you just played with feel. I mean, there wasn't anything wrong with those songs at all. They moved. They, you know, in something like Superstition, it yeah. starts out really slow. And by the end of the song, it's cooking. But yeah. nobody ever complained about that. Nobody no. ever said, ah, oh, Superstition. Now that song speeds up. It's too much. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever says that. Yeah. Um, Honky Tonk Women, Rolling Stones, huge speed up. Like the, But you don't look at Charlie Watts as like, oh, he's not He's not yeah. a good drummer. You yeah, know? he's not delivering that. Yeah. That's it's not like, good. So how do you, what's your thought on that? Uh, you know, to me, if I were a recording artist or... I would probably want it to feel the same way every night because sometimes it depends on the mood of someone in the band and they can direct the tempo. Maybe you didn't, maybe you're tired 
um, maybe uh, the, a song is dragging, um, and maybe it, maybe it was dragging a little too much, or maybe you had two cups of coffee before you performed, and it's a little too, uh, you know, too rushed. Uh, too, yeah, right. too rushed. <laughs> well, click track does not lie, you know. So you know if a song is something or other, if it's one hundred, if tequila talking is one hundred ninety nine, you know if ninety nine does not feel good in your ears. It's not the click track's fault. It's your mm, fault. Right. Get with it. Find yourself Find in that. In that. And if you do, you know, and, and if you do that, I, play, I, I think it makes it a little bit more consistent for everybody in the band. Yeah. Um, even even when they're feeling sluggish or a little bit up, if everybody knows, well, I know that Keech has got us at ninety nine. It's my fault if I can't groove with this. Something's yeah. wrong with me tonight. And then there's other nights that it doesn't matter. It just feels so good. It's just perfect, you know. Yeah. And this is we're talking about minuscule, right. minute things that only maybe somebody in the band or people in the band would know. The audience would never know. Right. They would never know. If I had my druthers, I would probably I would prefer click. But I'm in a in a gig right now where there is no click even on I don't even have yeah. one on the, on my kit. Doesn't exist, yeah. It, it does not exist. Because usually Phil will start it out. He'll set yeah, the tempo. Exactly. Kind so of, I'm not you know. going to chase that yeah. on a click track. You know? Right. Yeah, and, true. And, and also, you've done this before, especially when you're trying to, in the mid-song, it's been started at something here and you're wanting to reel everybody back. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just can't make them. You just can't. It's like you're pulling on the reins yeah. of the horse. Like, oh, yeah. no, come on back here, guys. Yeah. Come on. And it just runs away from you and you yeah. give up. You know, yeah. I don't want to do that. And it, it might be on the other end. It might be slower than normal. It's like, well, it's not supposed to be here. Well, Phil wants it right here. Again, that brings up the service industry thing. Yeah. Are you with an act that likes it? And if they are, then get with that. And I mean, yeah. I've listened to click, you know, Keech, I, I was on, on a click track with sequencing and gospel music when I was 12 years old. I was put yeah. on a click early uh, by my cousin, uh, Sean Putman, one of my best friends in the world. He, um, he had me on a click because I was sequenced. I had to, it was, the drums were live, but like every, some of the other things were not. I see, and, yeah. and then the quartet stood in front. So I was on a click real early, so much so that now um, in my latest gig where there was a click track, I mean, every if everybody in the band was hearing it, you know, you know, some people, you know, for, if you're an in-ears, if you don't know any better, uh, or, or this is a surprise to you, you know, our in-ears, we're listening to whatever we want to listen to individually. Right. And sometimes the band, everybody in the on on stage wants to hear the click. Right. Sometimes it's only the drummer hearing the click. Right. And there'll be there'll be times I'm so used to click track that we're having a conversation at sound check uh, with and I would have the click still going and they're talking <laughs> and I, I'm not even noticing them. There's and, a piercing click right. click in my like, ear. Could you turn that beep, beep, freaking thing beep, off? <laughs> I mean yeah it is yeah and I'm just sitting there like <laughs> listening to the, yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then somebody will say hey David would you turn Did that you off? Turn that fucking oh, thing oh sorry you know I didn't even know it was on you know that's how long. I've been exposed to click track work. Yeah, right. But again, you, you can get stagnant in that world too. You know, yeah. that, you know, your musical brain can play some tricks on you here and there in terms of whether that you know a click track feels good to you in times where it doesn't, and yeah. you're you feel like you're just not syncing with it these yeah. days really good, and then other times, months at a time, where you're struggling with it, and then you'll come out of that. You yeah. Know? Now, now, mate, is that again a very small, minute thing? Of course it is, but. Yeah. But it is your musical life, so you know you're <laughs> right. You're, as a drummer, you're going to have to work with click tracks at some point, boys and girls. I mean, especially in tracks world. Right. But I'm in a gig right now where 
I don't have a click and it doesn't bother me. You know, yep. it's fine that way because yeah, it sounds just, good. It's, it's good feel. It just got, that's you know, where they trust you as a drummer. I think where the trust comes from. Yeah, yeah. Colin said that about me, which made me feel really good. He said, uh, 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 because I love him to death, but I think Colin's a little hard to please on the drum on the drum mm-hmm. front. Um, he's not satisfied with just anybody. He's the sweetest guy in the world, but um, uh, you he know, knows he, what he wants. He knows and, what and he he's wants. Not and, afraid to and tell he's, you. And he told me. He's told me before. He said, I, you know, I just trust you. I just trust you. And I'm not on a click with Colin either. I'll start a few things mm-hmm. and uh, add as a, a reference tempo just to kind of get and, a feel. And, yeah. just, and then I'll, I'll turn it loose and we'll just, we'll, we'll go, you know. Because there's so many, you know, retards and, you know, stops and starts and yeah. wait for his vocal to do this. Because I would have to be stopping and starting a lot. And, you know, keyboard player and us having to look at each other. It'd be better. It's, it's just in that, in that situation... Just it, feeling more organic is just yeah. it, is less worrisome and and it just just less headache. Yeah. But he but you know he told me I just trust you. If I trust you. You're just gonna put it where it needs to go because yeah. we both like the same music. We grew up liking the same kind of thing. Yeah. So you know if you got somebody that trusts you, then you're in good shape. Have you seen this video where like you know the lead singer was real pissed at the drummer because the tempo was not good and he went and got in his face and the drummer got up punched oh, yeah, him I saw that. and then yeah, they, they tackled each set. other yeah. and the drum set fall apart you, know, that, yeah. you don't want to be in that band no, you don't want to be that you guy. know that is because <laughs> but isn't music supposed to be fun it is it's supposed, supposed to be, to be yeah. fun and if it's not fun and and you're in an argumentative situation uh you know in tempo with somebody in your band you need to work yeah. that out one way or the other because right. yeah. that is definitely no fun i think it's um one of the things i tell a lot of my students is listen you know be a listener you know when you, you're playing the drums listen to what's going on around you and that informs you a lot of whether it feels right does it feel rushed does it feel dragged and you know I, I mean you know you know what you know is right yeah but they may not be they may be pulling you back a little bit you know and so you to listen that's what i love about playing acoustic shows when we do acoustic shows no click no nothing it's like you, yeah. you, you guys every night you just know what feels right and they trust you as like he's going to lay the groove down the way it needs to be but then also your ego is not so big that you're not listening you know you yeah. listen to what they play and you it's a feel it's a compromise thing that's yeah. what's fun about it and again you can be you know you can fail yourself sometimes on that because if you're not you know i, I know a good idea about where 99 or 100 is yeah. i could probably put it within you know within five right now but yeah. uh, five bpm Right, but it may not be perfect depending on how much coffee I had, right, and yeah. you know your bandmates will kind of reel you in uh, sometimes, or sometimes you have to yeah. reel them in, or you know, or so you know I've been you know it's not that uncommon for to look at it and says you know I want it a little faster. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, it's fine. Now 100 beats per minute. If anybody doesn't know this, is really easy to figure out because in CPR. Um, you have to know 100 beats per minute as staying alive from the Bee Gees. And they teach you that. They're like, because, you know, it's a perfect song, staying alive, and you're saving yeah. somebody's life. And it's like, so that's the that's the rhythm that you push there, you know. And so that's kind of easy to, but if you said 114, you may yeah. kind of go, ooh, yeah, you know, that's hmm, let me think, what's yeah. what, you know. Yeah, if you're like me, you'll reference other songs yeah, that are like, well, exactly. what's around yeah. 114? All right, so it's about here. I do that you know? a lot, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do too. Now, now here's a trick that um, I will be mentioning this in my course, is um, a, a little trick to get the tempo in a song where you're not sure what it is, you don't have a click track, you don't have anything, any reference, and, and tell me if you've learned this, 
sing the chorus in your head. That's it. What does the chorus sound like? I got to sing the chorus. And then then you revert back to the intro and mm-hmm. you count it off. And it's usually pretty spot on I, it when is. you sing the chorus. It is. The, the yeah. is so funny you say that because I do the exact same thing. You know, calling off a song downtown. I don't use a click track down downtown. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm like kind of in a, a click trackless world right now. <laughs> Clickless. Yeah. Um, but I don't mind that. But yeah, that's exactly what I do. It's like, okay, uh, check yes or no, George Strait. Okay. Check. Do you love me? Yeah, of course. You, all right. right. One, two, yeah. And it's usually right on Pat Boone, Debbie Boone. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, or the, the classic Eddie Bayer's intro look. Yeah. That's it. So, what, um, let's talk about drums a little bit. we got a little bit of time left here. Um, what's your favorite drum kit? What do you play? Do you, uh, you have a favorite brand? Well, I'm endorsed by Pearl. Okay. Pearl Drums. My buddy Johnny Farquharson. Um, at at Pearl Drum Giant, I had to, I bought a Pearl kit from Tracy Broussard that was a uh, it's like twenty two by twenty, it's deep. Oh wow! Twelve by nine, fourteen by fourteen, sixteen by sixteen. I played that out on the road for several years as a red reference kit, heavy drums. Yeah. And uh, I then I had my own kit custom made. It was actually the first vintage Marine Pearl drum kit in North America. Oh. Um, and that, those were big drums. That's my touring kit that I have out with Phil right now. You still now. have it? Mm-hmm. Still have 24 it? by 15. Wow. Nice. Um, 12 by 9, 16 by 16, 18 by 16. Wow. So they're big drums. Got the big, big 18 drums. floor time. Yeah, so I went because we were doing you know some arena stuff. We were out with Blake Shelton. We were in the round with direct support for Carrie Underwood. So I was just wanting big drums out there, yeah. just real big drums. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm about to do it right now, order a new kit, and I'm going to go back to some smaller drums. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a... I don't want to say it's a trick. I don't do it to the extent that Keo does it. But if you, anybody knows Keo Stroud, he designs a new drum kit about every year. And it may be wildly different from each other. He might have double bass, concert toms one year, and then play literally like a 20-inch kick with a floor tom and you know three ride cymbals wow. the next year. And I, well, I remember the first time I asked him to ask him that. I said, "What, what is it? Why you do it that, that way?" He said, "Just to keep it fresh, because he's played with Big and Rich for you know a pretty good while now. I don't know five to seven years. And you know you're going to play the same parts for the most part. You right. know, you're going to play those songs if you're touring out with that act. You're going to play their songs. So you're going to play those songs over and over and over again. Well, if you change your setup, it it allows you to maybe just experiment a little bit. Not so much that an audience member would know it." But just in your own head, it's like, well, let me find a new way where instead of going across all the way across the toms here, what about if I just only had floor to work with? One sixteen by 16 floor. Yeah. What would I do? And how would I adapt to that? And it kind of keeps you on your toes because you're playing the same songs so often. keeps you on your toes and allows you to just experiment yeah. In your own keep things simple and your own figure head. out how to do certain fills with just one tom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what I have to do on acoustic shows. I just have a snare and a floor tom and a kick. Mm-hmm. That's it. So mm-hmm. all the stuff we do, I have to figure out how to do it with just that one floor tom. And it's a, it's a, it's a thirteen by, I don't know, sixteen or it's a like a big deep floor tom. But it's a thirteen inch. Mm-hmm. And our sound guy at the time, um, Caleb, he said, "Dude, that is my favorite drum I've ever heard." Like of any, because wow. it was thirteen by I don't know how deep it was, like 
18 or something like that. Oh, you know, wow. it's a floor tom, so it's yeah. a big long tube, basically. But a 13, I've always loved a 13 inch tom. I really? Like, as a, I use it like my first tom. Normally, when you buy a kit, you get a 12, yeah. and then you get like a 14. And, and anytime I had a 13, I loved it. I loved, because it just, it's not too big, but it's not that teeny tiny little 12. It's just a perfect little, mm, you know. And I know Shannon Forrest is the same way. When he was out with Toto, he mentioned what his kit was, and he said 13 inch. First time it's a 13 inch. And I'm like, yep, see, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going back. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to steal from Keo, and I'm going to go back to like a, Almost like a '90s setup. Yeah, right. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do 22, 10. 10. Wow. Doom. A 10, yeah. 12, two racks. Yeah. And 16, and I'll eventually do 18. Yeah. 10, wow. 12. I'd love a 10 inch tom. Yeah. Right there in that spot. Or if you wanted to put it to you know like right under the ride symbol where a ride symbol yeah. would be just to just for weird don't they fluidity. sound good on a big pa mm-hmm. i mean those little tiny those tight those drums. tiny little bing, so boom. i'm just thinking i was yeah. going to go back to that setup i'm going to have larger overhead though i'm going to have like you know 16 inch hats and wow. 20 inch crash and 16 inch hats oh yes wow. yes sweet hats i have 14 i mean i have 15s and i thought that was huge you know yeah 15s are i love 15s 14s now yeah. they look like uh, like, uh, yeah, like, like little, little tiny, little, like, like a, coffee saucers. Or coffee something. saucers. Yeah. That's like, what they look like. That's what yeah. they feel like to me when I look at them. It's like God. But you know, back in you know back in the nineties, you, you know, you had like seventeen inch crash. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that was your biggest one, probably. Yeah, right? your yeah. biggest one you had. It was like a real small overhead. So I'm gonna mix it up and do you know large larger cymbals with smaller drums, uh, and I'm gonna That's see cool, how man. I like that for. A little while. I'm probably take my big massive drum kit off the road for a while, even though yeah. I'm not getting rid of it. Well, I'm, I've been I've been endorsing Zildjian forever. You know, mm-hmm. for, for matter of fact, they sent me a plaque last year that said, uh, "Congratulations for being uh, a Zildjian endorser for 20 years." And I thought they gave me a plaque for that. I mean, yeah. I should give them a plaque. You know? Yeah. But uh, you were probably in those drummer polls, uh, country drummer, and uh, I bet you were. Yeah. You know, along with uh, you know Eddie and some yeah. of those other guys, because you were a drummer and a and a and a record. You know, you were yeah. your own recording artist, I should say. Right. Yeah. yeah. I bet you were. Did you remember being in those like you know reader polls, like favorite country drummer or best country drummer mm-hmm. or any of those? I can't. I don't I remember that. But, I'll but bet it you could were. have been. Yeah. I'll bet. But uh, man, Zildjian has been so great to me. I mean, this is like anytime I need cymbals, they're they're right on it. They mm-hmm. send them to me. They. I send in my cracked ones and they send me back. Me it's so great. I yeah, love them. Yeah, me too. They're 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 good folk over there. And I'm glad that I'm glad that they take the ones the cracked ones back. They want I, them. Yeah, oh, they, they want them because they brass them. is hard to get a hold of now. I think or something. Yeah. It's, so it's I mean, I'm, it's such a uh, it's so easy for me because otherwise I wouldn't know what to do with those those cracked symbols. Yeah. Right. Put them in the mailbox. All right. Send them off. Cut, I used to cut, I used to drill them, drill where the crack was. I used to, back when I couldn't afford cymbals, you know, mm-hmm. when I was just playing in bars, I would take a drill and drill the end of the crack so it wouldn't crack any further. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then take a pair of tin snips and, and snip the part that was touching, you know, the crack. Yeah. Because when it touches, it rattles. Yeah. And I would, I had some cymbals that were so cut up and, and sliced up that they didn't even sound like cymbals anymore. Oh, I bet for a while <laughs> though, they had a, some cool sounds they, they to did, them. Yeah. They did, yeah. They, they went away quicker and they were kind yeah. of... Yeah, yeah. I had it, a it dissipated faster. Yeah, yeah, I had a Ufit Pang. They called it a Pang symbol. It was a China symbol. And I had that thing for so long. It had so many cracks that it only had about, about half of it left. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and it was so heavy on one side, I had to mount it a certain way so it would just hang right, you know? And it mm-hmm. hit it and it was like, it just Now they away. make symbols where they drill holes. Yeah, in, right. Isn't you know? that crazy? That uh, EFX. Yeah. 
uh, crash that they have. And I love I guess those. Yeah. Sabian's version is the Ozone, something like that. It's one of those, that's their version of the yeah. same. The first time I got one of those EFX symbols, I put it up and uh, Michael, our guitar player, he we played a little bit and it was at a rehearsal or a sound check or something and he goes what is that yeah it's bright he goes whatever just get rid of that thing because i hate that symbol yeah yeah but, uh, it, it yeah. is it's really it, it it works better in rock applications yeah like because it's so bright yeah and, and i love it for recording when you record when you just hit that thing so soft yeah, on it's like just a, balance, got a great some shimmer kind of to it real low mm -hmm. dynamic part yeah. it's just like wow just yeah. has this nice little agree so um Man, um, any any kind of advice you want to give to some young drummers uh, that might be thinking about going from the garage to the big stage? And well, I'll go back to Charlie Daniels again. You're going to have to move to a place where there's a music business, right? And because, however much you think you know about your craft, and this would be the case if you had to move to Laurel Canyon in in Los Angeles in 1970, or if you moved to New York and try to get in the jazz scene in the 40s and the 50s. However much you think you know about your craft, there is a going to school aspect to when you get to whatever musical city, you know, whatever genre that, that city has, has got yeah. a lot of, which in Nashville is country music. Um, th there's a learning curve to where, well, this is the kind of the way it's done here. And so, like the numbers chart system that sure. we all had to learn, you know, back sure. in the day. Sure, and just... I would advise anybody to observe other players and you got to be cerebral about it in terms of like, really, it, it's not enough. You know, if you really want to learn something from it, you're just watching it and saying, that's cool is, is not really enough. Why do you like it? What is it about it that he's doing that you want to replicate? Can you put that into words? Can you formulate that in your head? You know, this is why he, this guy's got a, a good gig because he does this, he does this really well. What is that thing? Is that, is that, you know, because everybody finds their niche. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, it, it, even if you're in your hometown, uh, you know, Stra strawberry festival somewhere in, you know, Nebraska or whatever, um, watch other drummers. Watch his, you know, we live in an age in YouTube where you can watch the, some of the greatest drummers in the world at the yep. click of a finger. For hours and hours But and it's hours. not the same as being and watching it in person, seeing right. it in person. And so, you know, observation is such a massive part of it. And when I'm learning something new, I'm learning a new set list, in addition, if I'm going to make charts, you know, I want to listen to it a lot before I ever try to play it. I mean, a lot, over and over and over and yeah. over again. It's almost like when you're an actor, you want to read the script. Even if you think you started to know it, you get to a point and ask yourself, what's coming next in the script right here? Do I know yeah. what's coming next in the script? What's the next line? And if you don't know the next line, then you haven't read it enough. Right. Same way with learning something. You know, you want to observe for a long time before you actually try to apply it. And then once you've sat down to try to apply it and you want to read through your script in your head or you want to play a song or learn something, you'll know how far you've gotten very early when you hit behind, get behind the drum kit and, and start to try to figure whatever that out is. Yeah. And, and uh, so, I, I mean, b before you play, listen. Before yeah. you listen and listen closely. And try to, you know, what is it about that you want to emulate? Why yeah. do you want to emulate? I always tell people that rehearsal is like getting pearls. Rehearsal is you can ask questions, you can work things out. You can, if you're, if there's any ambiguity at all about a part, you rehearsal is a, is a sacred time to work that stuff out. So mm -hmm. and not on stage, not on in front of a crowd or mm -hmm. anything like that. Absolutely. So I always tell people rehearsal 
use that time, embrace it, you know, enjoy it. Absolutely. Because it's like being someone's giving you pearls. You know, it's just like you've got this time to work out this stuff. Don't yeah, and you guys throw can, that away. And you can talk about it together. Yeah, right. Because in a life, in a life situation, if something didn't work out, you've got to move on to the next thing. You don't have right. time to talk about it. You can't. No. It's, you, may, it's you, you might can. You might can later. But by then, you've already messed it up. Yeah, you've already. Yeah. You really want to mess it up? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard to create a second impression. You know. Yeah. A, first impression a second time you know exactly anyway well man it's been so good talking to you i'm just such a big fan of yours and enjoyed playing with you on the phil vassar tour and keach good luck with this podcast i love it i, I you know there's so much information and, and so many people out there willing to help uh which i think is just such a sweet thing and you're a great person to, you're a great person to represent nashville drum community if you ask me well, so thank you i'm super psyched that you're um you know doing this podcast i want to be able to I'm gonna I'm gonna log in myself and check it out and see uh, and so who's see coming some, up next? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just feel like it's up to us, us meaning like us drummers that are out there making a living now, to to educate and to inform the next generation of great drummers that are coming up because they're coming up. I mean, yep. there's a lot of really good drummers out there that just kind of could use a little bit of information. Yeah, you know, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got to teach them right. Don't let them stumble like we stumbled, you know. That's my <laughs> like key. Like we still stumble. Like we still do it every day, yeah. Anyway, well, thank you so much, and uh, we will uh, catch you back out on the road. Phil Vassar and sometimes uh, Colin Ray, and uh, you never know. You'll see David Black out there slamming on those drums. Mm -hmm. See ya next time. Okay, Bye. see ya.